And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a handbrake off. Hello, I'm Ian Stone. This is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. I'm joined this week by Amy Lawrence and Adrian Clark. Hello, guys. Hello. Afternoon. Now, since we last did a podcast, we played last Wednesday night, a splendid back-to-the-wall 1-0 away win at Stamford Bridge, and we got in Chelsea's head so much that they lost the cup final and may well blow their season completely in the next couple of weeks. Uh, now, next week we'll be doing a season review, uh, and I promise you we'll keep it light. But in the meantime, we thought we'd talk about the fact that it has been 15 years since we left Highbury and how is it working out? I think some of you may already know the answer to that. So before we get into the details, what do you miss most uh, about Highbury? Um, Adrian, we were talking about the last game, uh, 2006, 7th of May against Wigan. Um, you weren't there um, no. and because you were saying you weren't invited. And even if you were <laughs> invited, you probably would have blown it out for something more important anyway. <laughs> you holding it against me still for the Dennis yes. Bergkamp christening snub. Yeah, I like not it. Not just me, um, not just me, just the listeners. I would love to have been there. Um, and, and I do remember kind of watching the scenes on TV and, and feeling really jealous, actually, and, and envious of the people that were there. No doubt about it. Yeah, no, I wasn't invited, but I probably couldn't have got a ticket. I wasn't working for the club at that point. And I think I was sort of in the process of retiring around around that time. Um, but yeah, no, it was, it was emotional, emotional scenes. But yeah, it was what a place. Absolutely loved it. And what it. do you miss? What do you miss about the place? I miss the... I miss the entrance. I absolutely miss the entrance to, to the ground with the commissionaires, those steps. She used to loiter around those steps as a youth team player, as a young pro, and and, and just see everyone milling up and down, you know, the, the road there. It was it was glorious. And then obviously inside with the marble halls and just the little nooks and crannies. The I, I love the tunnel, the how skinny it was. I love the halfway house where the players would who weren't playing would go and have a you know have a cup of tea and gather before the games. It's it's that it's those little nuances of hybrid that, that I that I miss the most. The Emirates just doesn't have that kind of character. Amy, what about you? What do you miss the most? about Highbury. Try and keep this to half an hour. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, apart from absolutely everything yes. in its entirety, uh, I think like a lot of the best things in life, the anticipation of it is such a big part. And the journeys to Highbury is something mm. that I miss a lot. And in the course of my um, football watching time there, I had different approaches according to where I lived at the time. Uh, I used to, first of all, come to Finsbury Park, get off the bus and walk up St. Thomas's Road um, that way. And as you're getting closer and closer and the throng starts to fill the streets, it was always uh, that exhilaration. Um, but I think probably my favourite was the turning down 
into Avenel Road from the top, uh, Obert mm-hmm. Park. Oh my God! I, 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 you know, my mind's eye. That is, that's the greatest scene and view. The bobbing heads anywhere only. in the anywhere on the planet. I mean, yeah, and just that kind of the swell of crowd, just sort of hanging around outside the marble halls, and you know, g- going between the sort of gunner shop at the top and down towards uh, the the North Bank entrance or into the East Stand and. It was, you know, the commissioners there by the door, that little touch. And at certain match days, you'd have, you know, be aware of the players. You knew that they were just the other side of those windows. You know, they could hear the crowd outside. It's not like the Emirates where it feels very much hermetically sealed and, you know, in through a car park, through a sort of tunnel and uh, underground and in they go to the stadium. That there was that feeling of of a more sort of visceral, direct connection, I think, in those days. Um, so yeah, just, just bobbing around outside the ground really was, you know, wait, you know, waiting for the, the, the match to kick off, bumping into a few mates, um, had a certain magic that I think has been very difficult to replicate. I always remember Arsene Wenger saying how, when he very, very first came to Highbury in, uh, for a match in 1989, when he was Monaco manager, he was just passing through London on like an overnight stay famously the night that he met David Dean and, you know, the story started really there. But he jumped in a cab from the airport and, you know, he'd been got a ticket to uh, this match at Highbury, obviously being Arsene Wenger. If he had any time anywhere, the only thing he wanted to do was go and watch a football match. And um, the cab stops in the, you know, in the residential streets around Highbury. And I remember him telling the story and saying, I turned round to... uh, to the driver and said, Bud, where's the stadium? <laughs> and uh, the guy was like, well, it's here, mate, you know. <laughs> and he, he was, he'd never really seen anything like it. That, uh, that whole uh, sense of the ground, and I say that word on purpose, not the stadium, but the ground, there's a difference. Being right in the middle of, you know, just rows of, of, uh, of local houses in the neighbourhood, it was, it was and still is a, re- a really special thing. Yeah, I mean, I, well, I can only agree with both of you, really. I didn't see all the nooks and crannies, Adrian. I did do the stadium tour, but I don't think I saw them all. But certainly I miss those. And the and the, the sort of singularity of Highbury, really, the uniqueness of, of the place. I certainly, Amy, what you're talking about, about coming round Avenel Road as you're coming down the hill and you see the ground, that's pretty special. Um, I also miss going into the North Bank and having to climb some steps and then you're in the North Bank and all that sea of people. And one more thing is night games. Um, I mean, I think night games are very evocative anyway. I genuinely feel that. But night games at Highbury. I remember going to a, a League Cup court final against Liverpool in about 19, late 70s, early 80s. I can't remember. And there were 57,000 people in the ground. And it was thrilling. The noise was immense. Uh, it, was, it was really one of the most intense things I've ever experienced. You can subscribe to The Athletic UK right now for a special price of £3.99 for six months. That's 40% off the full price of a subscription. You'll enjoy great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all our podcasts. So go to theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal pod to take advantage of this special 40% discount. That's theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal pod. And if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? 
Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. We were a bit uh, with the handbrake at time. I do realize, by the way, that there will be listeners who are below a certain age who never experienced any of this and would have experienced some of this stuff at the Emirates as well because it isn't all gone. But uh, we are talking about hybrid because it is just over 15 years, as I said, 7th of May 2006, when we left for the last time. And we wanted to talk a bit in a bit more detail about why we left and whether it was a good idea. So, uh, Amy, I'll start with you. Why did we leave Highbury? I think uh, we left Highbury because there was an awareness um, at board level that the way the game was changing, uh, what they envisaged coming around the corner, although nobody envisaged quite uh, the extent of, of the wave of money that was the tsunami, really, that was coming around the corner. But the sense that football was uh, in a, right in the middle of a period of change and modernisation and globalisation. Amy, Amy and can I just... just mm-hmm. uh, they would have been having this conversation in the early to mid-90s, right? When the Premier League started and they'd have been looking ahead. Yeah, absolutely. I think there were some brief... Uh, discussions about whether it was possible to expand Highbury because you know for a long time that the ground was was plenty big enough and yes there were some you know 50,000 odd crowds every now and now and again uh over the over the previous decades but in general um even title winning sides you know in 89 and stuff it wasn't always packed to the rafters so I think that it was a sense of um particularly when Arsene came and things were changing in terms of having a broader horizon out there and looking at where football was going. Uh, Star players, more money, TV, an international uh, fan base, uh, a much bigger uh, sense of the club's position in Europe. All these things were changing really, really quickly. Um, And, you know, they tasted that absolute elite top of the mountain uh, ecstasy, really, of being one of the all-time great teams um, and feeling important in the football world, not just within England. And how is that sustainable? How can Arsenal grow? And they knew they couldn't uh, grow that as much as they felt to keep up with demand at Highbury. Um, Personally, because I'm a sort of a sad old nostalgist, I would have thought, sod that, I'll stay anyway because I love it too much. But, I, that, you know, that's why I would be crap at business. Well, you um, might have actually made the right choice, to be honest. Well, who knows? Well, who hindsight's knows? a but very I think easy fundament- thing, of course. Exactly. But, for, you know, and, I, and for, the, for those of us lucky enough to have experienced it a lot and it was part of our lives, you know, that 
money can't buy how that felt and the subsequent years not just in terms of on the pitch but as an experience and that was our soul that was our ancestral home that was our place that was our temple it's been irreplaceable from in terms of soul in my opinion but they had to move with the times you have Thierry Henry you have Dennis Bergkamp you have uh, Patrick Vieira you have genuinely some of the best players in the world in front of your eyes playing for you how can you sustain that? There was such a limitation on the amount of finance that could be generated at Highbury. They didn't have much hospitality. They, you know, they couldn't make a load of money from boxes a bit, but not much. The 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 gate receipts were limited because they couldn't really build anywhere. They thought about the corners, but the groundsman went, "Are you kidding me?" The pitch will fall apart with no air circulating. They couldn't go up any higher because the local residents of those streets that we've just been talking about were like, "No way, we won't ever be able to see any sunlight. We'll be dwarfed by these big stands. You can't go above a certain height." They couldn't build very easily to expand where they were, so. The next thing was, well, what can we do? And they began the process that ended up rather fortuitously very locally at the Emirates because it was very nearly a, a, a much further and probably more grim story. I mean, all right. I, listen, as far as the being able to build half a mile away was absolutely excellent. One of the things I loved about that last game of the season, so that last game ever at Highbury in 2006, was that we went up the back of the stand after the game and we're watching Roger Daltrey do his Highbury High song and various other bits and pieces. And we turn round and there's the new stadium all built and ready for us, Adrian. I mean, it, it seemed at the time like a, a dream move. Putting aside the nostalgia of, of your spiritual home, there's a brand spanking new stadium not half a mile away in the borough. And it was it a is a beautiful stadium. stadium. It was a beautiful looking stadium. It's a beautiful looking stadium, and and yeah, it was, it was special at the time, and it gave Arsenal at the time when television money wasn't quite at the level as it is now. It gave them the chance to sort of bring in as much revenue as a Manchester United, or you know, almost as much money as them, and that was. That was part of the, the, the thinking as well at the time. And because we had such good teams, such strong teams, it felt only right, really, that that 60,000 Arsenal fans, whether they were local or, or whether they came from all over the world, got to see these great players, these great, these great Arsenal teams in the flesh rather than the 38,000 because it was pretty hard to get a ticket. You know, once right. I'd left the club, yeah. it was not, it was yeah. not easy. It was not easy getting a ticket back to, back to the games, you know? Um, so, so it felt like the right move, but as Amy says, I completely concur with everything she said, the soul, you cannot, but you cannot replicate the soul of, of, of Highbury, well, unfortunately. And, but that would be, that would be the same right. everywhere, but, but that's fair enough. Go on. I was, was going to say about, I was going to I was sorry. But if we are to, to, to create happy memories at Emirates Stadium, i.e. title winning triumphs, then you, you create you know, your own soul at Emirates, don't you? But, but we feel a little bit far oh, that. Well, there's moment. no doubt about that. I, I think we can agree. And we'll do the season review next week just to see how far we are from reclaiming the soul of the club. But surely if, if the pandemic has taught us one thing, Amy, that... that, that the soul of the club is everything. You know, the stuff with the ESL the other week, you can see the connection the fans have with with the club. That You can't lose that. And Arsene Wenger understands that better than anyone, and yet he still went for it, didn't he? Well, he went for it because he 
looked at the finances and thought, how do you compete with... Originally, it was Roman Abramovich yes. and Chelsea that was providing the biggest uh, uh, threat. And, you know, David Dean's famous comment about them appearing, uh, firing £50 notes across the lawn, um, you know, was the, was the sentiment of the era, which was like... Uh, and what, what was interesting as well is that the first, you know, the moment that they made their grand plan to leave Highbury to, for the Emirates and this much more um, lucrative future. I mean, the idea of making a million pounds per match day, which I think was the um, the figure that was flying around at the time when they first moved in, was a staggering increase on what was available at Highbury. Um, it was just too tempting to do that, to try and compete, not just with Chelsea or, or, or you know, Man United, obviously, still were hugely important around that time. But also, you know, Arsenal were looking at, at the top European clubs and wanting to compete with the Bar- Barcelona, uh, Juventus, AC Milan, uh, Real Madrid uh, group of that time as well. So in order to do so, they just knew they needed more but of course the biggest irony is that the plan was based on what i would call a pre-abramovich world and the plan should have worked if football hadn't suddenly um been uh impacted so enormously by the this extreme finance of oligarchs and nation states and what have you um never mind the tv money but uh, actual you know benefactors personal benefactors who are, were able to, you know, fund a £200 million transfer window, just like that, just with a click of her fingers, for doing nothing, um, before anybody had even imagined FFP or how to try and balance things at all. It, 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 was, it, it changed very radically, very quickly, but Arsenal's plans made prior to that should have made Arsenal... One of the richest clubs around. They should have had a massive advantage because they were the first ones or amongst the first to build one of these sort of mega stadia that would generate so much money to enable them to be self-sustaining, not in a cheap way, but self-sustaining in a lavish way. They knew they were going to have to kind of um, tighten the belt for a while. But the idea was you come out the end of that little period and right, okay, you're ready to absolutely challenge for everything and against anybody but the landscape changed. completely How i mean well know? that's true as i said hindsight is a wonderful thing i mean adrian the tv money i mean mm. the the, the mm. team that finishes bottom of the premier league gets a hundred million pound in prize money which is more than arsenal would take yeah. in gate receipts through the season yeah everything changed amy's right um we, we can no longer compete for the best players around wages wise because of roman abramovich and what he was able to to offer teams and, and also the influx of money, not just for our immediate rivals, but across the board, the, the, the rise in revenues through TV allowed everybody to strengthen and become, you know, improve their own resources and not least in, in scouting departments, for example, you know, Arsenal were always a leading light. They were one step ahead, weren't they? For all those years, we used to spot the, the very best talent wow. overseas and, and, and bring them in, you know. And Elka Arsene Wenger and was one guys. step ahead. He used to watch yeah. four games a day on TV and he knew what was going on it, in the Belgian it, it, second division. So that's what happened exactly. there. Exactly. But, but, but yeah, but 15 years later, every, every, everybody had huge recruitment teams that, you know, European networks of scouts. All of a sudden that, that advantage, advantage was, was lost as well because, because everybody was, was richer. Everybody could, could, could compete 
um, to a certain level on and off the pitch. So would we have been better off staying at Highbury, Amy? I mean, I mean, in the end, if we'd have spent that money, the three, four hundred million, whatever we spent on the stadium on the pitch, we'd surely be in a better position now, wouldn't we? Look, it's 15 years. Uh, it's very, very hard to predict. Um, and I think you can look at some teams who have uh, exceeded all expectation and punched above their weight on not the highest resources. Uh, obviously, Leicester winning the league, they didn't do it for nothing recently, but I mean, certainly weren't paying the biggest no. bucks going to build that team. In a small stadium. Um, you know, you can be you can be smart, you can, uh, yeah. you can achieve and you can waste. Yeah. I mean, you know... <laughs> There's been a fair amount of wastage at our, our place over the last few years, let's be honest. So I think it's down to something more than just where you play and how much sort of money you can generate on a match day. Um, so God only knows. But mm. I, 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 I've put, uh, selfishly, I'd say I probably would have enjoyed 15 more years at Highbury. That's not very nice to the... Uh, 22,000 who ha yeah who haven't been able to get wouldn't have been able to get in and remember there was a huge season ticket waiting list in the latter years of Highbury that that 38,000 it was almost like a closed shop you know people mm. who had season tickets sat on them they were like gold dust and there were there were some it was in the hundreds of thousands on the waiting list you know I remember her speaking to mates oh, yeah I'm sure it is but I remember oh yeah I'm 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 88,703 on the waiting <laughs> list and you think god Jesus so you're going to live that long I mean you can see why they wanted to do it. Um, well, Everton are doing that position at the moment, mm, Stoney, aren't they? Mm. They're, you know, they're, they're willing to sacrifice the soul of Goodison to, to move on to a brand new stadium. And they're choosing to do that in this area. Don't, in this I just era. look at them and think, oh, God, don't, please. And that's just me being an old fart. I realise that. <laughs> no, it's no, not that's... sensible. But I just think, oh, God, you, you don't know what you've got there, you know? I mean, obviously they do. And I can, you know, I'm sure they've got all the right reasons themselves that they've thought through but it is all the all those beautiful grounds i just look at them and think please 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 like protect them like works of art you know can i say i've never been back i've never been back to um, highbury since it got converted not not converted to the flat i've never been inside highbury since it stopped being a football stadium um i don't know i went I in there a couple of years ago i went and had a walk on the uh the, the gate was open i had a walk on the on the lawn on the, the garden and it's um it brought back a lot of memories and of course it did but we listen we left in 2006 and we tried i mean obviously because of the fact that we had to finance the stadium arson arson wenger tried to do it with the youth didn't he he tried you know, he brought in a lot of young players and, and it almost worked. Cesc Fabregas, of course, being probably the best of all of them. But, Amy, was he let down a little bit by some of the players leaving when maybe if they'd stuck around for a couple of years, things might have worked out? Yeah, I know. It's a ridiculous cool. question. Um, I don't. I mean, I don't know the answer. I'm just asking. <laughs> I don't know. It felt really close. I think when you think about kind of sliding doors moments and, again, the, the master plan, there was so much yes. logic in it. The master plan of, of moving to the bigger stadium and then in that interim period before, ideally speaking, you're going and getting all the best players in the world that you can get again. You just, you try and build something cleverly with what became called Project Youth. It was a good plan, it you know, to, to, to try and fastidiously um, uh, handpick the best talent as young as possible, as gettable as possible and bring them in so that they could be imbued with that sense of uh, Arsenal spirit and caring about the club so they would want to stick around. Um, 
it, it really nearly worked when you think back to 2008. It, that, that team could have won, could have won the league and that could be a changer. But obviously you mentioned Sesk, but, uh, you know, people like Carlos Vela, you know, when they got him and Danielson, who weren't, ended up being not quite good enough, whereas Van Persie obviously was, and Chesney was a great young player, and, and Ramsey, and you, they did have tremendous success with some of the youngsters that came in. But Vela and um, uh, Danielson, for example, were amongst the most coveted players, and Senderos in global football. They were guys who were prime, prime uh, coveted uh, players who were you know, voted best in the world at like Youth World Cups and things like that. And it was an absolute feather in the cap that Arsenal got them. And they had this reputation of like, look, if Arsenal want you when you're 16, you know, you could yeah. be onto something yeah. here. It and didn't really work. I mean, Adrian, um, I mean, mm. is that our way out today? Project Youth, do you think? I mean, I mean, I mean. Listen, it's not like we can pay the big bucks. We can't be spending, you know. I mean, obviously Harry Kane. Even if he did leave Tottenham, he wouldn't come to Arsenal anyway. We should wait three years and get him on a free. Really, that'd be the way to do it properly. <laughs> but uh, reveal him from behind a, a curtain. But um, but Project Youth is the way to go today, isn't it? Oh, it, well, it, it feels like we're heading that way, doesn't it? Yeah, because because they they've definitely got. Got got a bit of Arsenal in their blood, haven't they? These young players, yes. they've got that old-fashioned drive, and and you can feel it matters to them. And they've made a brilliant difference um, in the second half of this season. The younger guys, so yeah, it could be. It's not just that. That alone won't 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 bring you success. You know, you have to have that joined-up thinking from from top to bottom of the club. Clear strategies, great recruitment. Um, you have to foster a special team spirit you know all of these things i guess I'm, it's fresh in the mind because yes. of leicester's success yes. at the weekend yes. at wembley because they they have all of that and 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 with with less resources than us they've they've been incredibly successful it's it's old-fashioned values <laughs> i think wow. and and it, it's it's as simple as that sometimes it is getting a bunch of hard-working talented players to 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 really fight for the shirt with the right management structure around them that, that that are all pushing in the same direction that's that's well, the formula that's the we formula. saw it we saw it at Wembley but also that requires joined up thinking from the top to the bottom of the club Amy I mean I mean one can't imagine one can't ever imagine a time when Stan Kroenke will come on the pitch and lift the cup with the players uh even if we win it we're, we're not we're not Leicester. We can't do it like them and 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 it, it might not work uh, in the same way at our club but you, we could aspire to, like um, Adrian says, to tick a lot of those boxes. Why the hell not? Because well, I mean, because do you think Arsenal plan? Why not? Why not recruit? Why not recruit okay, more okay. wisely? Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. been the heart can of I, their can success. I answer that <laughs> question. I remember Arsene Wenger mm -hmm. talking about this and the fact that he would have to spend thirty or forty million pounds on a player because Arsenal, Arsenal fans would not accept. A player like, say, Riyad Mahrez coming from the French 8th Division or N'Golo Kante. Oh, well, boom. that's what he said. Oh, that's what he on. said, Amy. We're talking about it now. And Arsenal fans, I think at this point, oh, Arsenal fans might accept that, right? If we got a Riyad Mahrez or N'Golo Kante. But Arsenal fans have expectations of but themselves. But what's the difference? I'm sorry. Do you not think that, that, that Arsene felt that Arsenal fans didn't accept um, Koscielny? 
who came from the second division in France. Or I Giroud, think this was that was later on. About? I think that was later on. I think there was certainly a period, and I've heard him say this when he talked about the fact that we, it wouldn't be acceptable for us with the fans to spend five hundred thousand or a million pounds on a player when we should be spending twenty. Colo You're going to name loads about? of players now. I know you are, right? <laughs> well, this, I just, this well, doesn't ring true. No, huh? I mean, have you not? You don't remember him Do you know saying what? that? You, are we not? Get, are we not getting skewed here? Is it not? <laughs> is it not a case of stripping it back a little bit and saying, look, at the moment we can't afford to compete with a City, a United, a Chelsea financially for the most gifted footballers, beautiful footballers on the planet. We can't. But what we can do is build a team, build a collective where, every, where you know, square pegs in square holes, round, round pegs in, 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 in round holes, whereby the most, you do the basics better than everybody else. And then from there, that, that is when, when you can, you can then build and bring in the more, bring in the flair, the talent to, to take you over the line. If you've got goal scorers and that ethic through the team, then, then you, you can you can upset the odds, and and unfortunately that's where Arsenal are at the moment. We we are an underdog, and perhaps that's the biggest challenge for for Arsenal at the moment. We have to accept our position in 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 the order of things right now, and maybe adjust adjust our style accordingly. I don't know. It's just a thought. Adrian, you're the voice of reason. <laughs> <laughs> Am I? I don't know. Certainly in this company. <laughs> Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. We were a bit uh, with the handbrake at time. This is the Arsenal uh, podcast handbrake off, brought to you by the Athletic Ian Stone here with Amy Lawrence and Adrian Clark. Uh, now, there was a, um, a video actually uh, from Tifo. It's a podcast they do regular podcasts for the Athletic, and they explained uh, Mikel Arteta's tactics. Uh, Adrian, I watched this twice. <laughs> I mean, I'm well getting, done. I'm getting better. I'm getting better at it. But even still, a lot of this stuff, it sort of goes <laughs> above the heads. Of, I mean, I'm not saying it's just. It might just be me. Maybe you guys are going. You're just stro- stroking your chins, going, "Well, yes, that's what the donut uh, against I think, the uh, flat back for or whatever." For once, I'm in your camp here, Stoney. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, no, no, I hate tactics. Not into it at all. I'm joking. <laughs> it was it was very nice. It was very good what he did. You know, explain some yeah. of the tactics and and and. But there was one moment when he mentioned about Mikel Arteta overthinking. I think it was mm. against Fulham. 
and and the way that they were lined up with a low block, I think, which has suddenly become a thing. Um, I mean, I mean, does he overthink? Do you do you think in your considerate in your considered opinion? Yeah, for, for, first of all, it was a really good video. I enjoyed it from Jay. I, I do like JJ Boyd. He's, yes, he, he, you know, yeah, he's a good lad, um, and and he came across well. And it was it took you through the journey of of various yes. formations and ideas that Arteta had, has had, and and it does. And the fact that there were so many different incarnations of of, of a shape shows you that maybe he has overthought things because he hasn't been in the job that long, and he's tried an awful lot of different methods really um yeah look, my, my, my one big criticism of him would be in part that he overthinks but but mainly the overriding theme i think is that it our play under him has it has become programmable it's like pre-programmed it's it's sort of like when the, when the when you're here we move the ball there and x player and y player move into these positions and it, and it I just feel that opposition teams see us coming now because we're we're less spontaneous than we used to be. What what I think we, we we're doing too much of is is playing in front of the opposition, and 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 you know we make we're creating some nice patterns. I can see absolute logic to creating these overloads and having this guy spare over here, but but ultimately not enough of our tactical approach, in my view, is actually hurting the opposition. Um, and and that is the next next phase of the journey, I would imagine, to be much more penetrative. And and you know what? It kind of comes back to to what I was saying in the previous segment. It comes down to runners and players wanting to to push themselves into positions where yeah. defenders don't want them to be or don't expect them to be. We're just a, a bit too predictable, I guess. Is is the sort of um, encapsulation of Arteta so far. Well, in that case, then maybe Adrian, that that first bit of the video when he's talking about how how it was against Fulham, and um, and he was talking about getting overloads, but he was saying that it was a problem because Kieran Tierney wasn't fit. Can you explain a little bit about what it what the thinking was? Well, no, I just think yeah, he anticipated that Fulham would have you know be very narrow and protect the central spine, which is what most teams in Fulham's position would do, and therefore they would overload the, the, the wide areas. But the, the problem was that it left a void in the middle because the person that was overloading was Emil Smith Rowe. Now Emil Smith Rowe at number ten was either going to the left or going to the right to create those three versus twos, and when you've got two central midfielders that that don't score goals or don't break into the box, when that ball comes into the area from the wing, you've got one centre forward and the opposite forward maybe at the far post. And and that's not enough. And that I think is is as sort of simplistic as I can explain it. And 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 for me, it's yeah, ideally, yeah, if the number 10 goes wide to create an overload, that's good, that's a good tactic. But what you have to do then is encourage. I don't know, in this case, would it have been Danny Sabayos or whoever the other central midfielder was to, to just do an Aaron Ramsey and get into the box? What? That is what we don't do enough of one of our, um, one, of no our great, one of our great goal-scoring midfielders to maybe make a run into the box. Is exactly. We're, we're, we're way too light inside the box. So so look, there's a lot of what Mikel Arteta does that makes absolute sense on the chalkboards and, 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 and when you think about the opposition weaknesses. But in reality, you need to get more players between the width of the goalposts inside the box and 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 I think to do that we we have to create yeah there's a lot of things but 
more partnerships, more slick combinations, uh, and certainly more play down the centre of the field because it's great going wide, but but unless unless when the ball comes back in the box, players are there, we, we aren't going to score enough goals. Amy, yeah, and, and that 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 great uh, uh, goal scoring midfield sort of run scenario is taking place about three hundred miles north, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> ah, ah. Sorry, uh, uh, anyone uh, who uh, doesn't uh, realise we're talking about Joe Willock, who's yeah. uh, uh, um, <laughs> doing a marvellous job up in Newcastle and scoring goals week by week. Adrian, um, just on the sort of tactical technical front, I wonder if you could solve a mystery for me. Um, oh, I don't know. Yeah, go on. What What is the difference between what is currently called a low block and what in old money used to be just called sort of sitting deep? <laughs> there's no difference there's really no, no. difference okay, uh, it's exactly the same just it's, yeah <laughs> there's no difference it's just it's squishing the, the space between the midfield and the defence where your Urzels Smith Rose want to be that, that's what teams do against us do you know one thing that Mikel hasn't tried and what JJ in that video didn't get the opportunity to talk about and that was two up front 3 um, 4-4-2 I don't really mind what system we play to be honest because i think they all kind of blend into one event you know ultimately but i just i just feel that we've been too light up front and what we're not seeing is those combinations remember when Giroud was here even though he was a one up front kind of guy those bouncing the balls into the center forward cut back to the onrushing midfielder forward to the onrushing winger we, we saw a lot of that and and i feel that that's that's gone out of our game and and for me just sometimes trying a front two with you know Martinelli and Lacazette or you know you could try Ober and Lacazette but but just two two front men just to link up create angles because that what that does guys if you have two strikers up against two central defenders or even three and one comes short and one spins behind it just causes indecision it brings the odd player out of position to create space for someone else to run into. And and that is where I think think we're falling down because one striker is not taking defenders away well enough and we've not got those runners from deep that that are surging into those spaces. That for me is the is the missing ingredient for us. Um and yeah, I just I just I'm desperate for Mikel Arteta to sort of recognise it and maybe just try some try something to improve us in that department. Do you think this overthinking thing that we're talking about, do you think it's partly a factor? I'm asking you this, Adrian. Do you think it's partly a factor of him having worked so closely with Pep Guardiola, obviously one of the best coaches in the world, and someone who has some of the best players at his disposal as well, and so they can be a lot more flexible in their tactics, whereas, again, going back to that phrase we used earlier, we maybe have to cut our cloth accordingly. Yeah, it's, it's quite advanced, isn't it? Some of the, some of the sort of ploys and strategies that he uses are quite advanced and they do cause problems for teams they really do um but yeah i, I guess so and and also i think it, it it's also in part because he realizes or he realized as soon as he walked through the door that arsenal's players aren't as good as man city's players and that he also realized that defensively let's be honest we're a little bit dodgy and <laughs> that a lot of what he's thinking a lot of what he's done and implemented has actually been to stabilise us as a team when we don't have the ball. And it's definitely sort of impacted on our flow and fluency going forward. I think it's, yeah, until he has, until he has full trust in the defensive guys, 
I think there's that reluctance to be too bold uh, or, you know, to, to concentrate too much on the on the attacking side. Well, while we're on the subject of defence, there's been a couple of pieces that have been written, which we'll quickly talk about. One by uh, James um, about uh, David Luiz having been one of Mikel Arteta's trusted lieutenants, um, but basically asking whether it's time for a rebuild. Uh, there's also in the piece, uh, Amy, they talk about the fact that Xhaka, the, 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 it's sort of understood that he might leave and we still haven't sorted out Lacazette's contract issues. Um, I mean, David Luiz... It sort of works sometimes, didn't it? Yeah. Um, look, I, I think in in hindsight, when we look back on it all, it was a transfer born out of sudden necessity. I think had Lauren Koscielny not suddenly felt he needed to leave, uh, which happened very late in that window, I'm not convinced that it was necessarily a deal that would have happened when it happened um, to bring in David Louise. So it was it, it was a... It was a one of those moments where everything sort of fell into place, there was an urgent need to find very quickly an experienced centre-back to replace um, the influence of Koscielny, uh, who was the captain, remember. So given the connections between certain people involved in recruitment at Arsenal at the time and uh, Keir Jarabjian's representatives, it was an easy fix. Um, but I think that just going back to what, Adrian said uh, before about this kind of blueprint for how Arsenal might try and be competitive in this current environment and, you know, trying to find a core with very smart recruitment of, of younger, hungrier, up-and-coming players who can, uh, you know, who can maybe not be fully formed, <laughs> warts and all, let's just say, and qualities and all, but who's got some uh, maturing to do but got so much to give and so much to learn and offer I, I, I you know you only have to look at uh, talking about Leicester Fafana um, coming God. into their defence 19 uh, you know it's not impossible if you if you get the right choices um, the right personalities and the right qualities in a player who comes in it, it can blossom very very quickly and I think it is the right time for Arsenal to try, there's been some talk of this. I mean, it's a bit conflicting messages. There's talk of you know the rebuild uh, one week, and then all of a sudden in the press conference earlier today, seemed to be more of a like. A, I saw a, a comment saying everybody who's under contract will be here, and I mean unless I mis misunderstood that slightly, um, that's not quite the same message. So it's not what we expected. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, I, I think it make make more sense to be a bit clearer strategically exactly what, what Arsenal are trying to do. Um, but, you know, I, I think that moving on from the, the sort of Jacques Louise and obviously Mustafi Ozil guys who have already gone, but that sort of generation where for all the abilities that they had, you there was an underlying sense of doubt that would creep in at times. Uh, and it feels like a freshness needs to be there. Well, one of the um, one of the people who may come in is William Saliba. There's a piece in the Athletic, uh, Art de Rocher and Luke Boscher, um talked about the fact that he's coming to Arsenal at the end of the season. Mikel Arteta has said this. I mean, he could be the Wesley Fofana for us, couldn't he, Adrian? Could be. Yeah, hope he is. I really do. Um, I think he's comfortable on on the ball. Look, with David Luiz, it was it was a really awkward one. It's, it's the right decision, I think. Ultimately, 
even though he's probably been our most reliable defender over the certainly during the during the pandemic. I think he's he, he's his distribution's been brilliant Best for passer, us, yeah. and 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 he's put in some colossal individual performances. So it's a shame in that respect, but he's ultimately holding us back by being there uh, and certainly holding back a player like Saliba. So yeah, look, it is time. It is time to give guys like him an opportunity. I think I actually feel that that we could could be or should maybe be in the market for for a lot of other defenders as well, younger, hungrier defenders, definitely a right back and, and, and probably another centre half as well. Um, to moving forward and obviously a deputy left back so so yeah I'm, I'm hoping for a lot of defensive changes within the squad this season but Saliba is the is the one we all eager to see uh, and yeah I, if Fafana can do it you know judge, judging by their reputations in France then Saliba can do it so uh, left back and right back and some centre backs but other than that we're covered <laughs> essentially is what you're saying um, let's one of the players who did play with distinction at uh, centre back for us in ter- and plenty of other positions as well is uh, Random Arse Generator this week has come up with Colo Toure um, uh, Amy give us a memory of Colo Toure Ah, oh, Colo. Um, yeah, it's lovely. That's exactly I how a lot of the, people the, would <laughs> would speak about him. The 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 iconic story of his trial is just always worth a retell. <laughs> and uh, you know, the, the so so the story goes, he turned up from the Ivory Coast, and uh, I think he had a week on trial or something. And there was a, a practice match at the training ground, and pretty much by the sounds of it, one by one, he took out uh, some of the most important people at Arsenal Football Club. I believe Thierry Henry, Dennis Bergkamp, uh, another top player. And then most famously of all, pretty much with the ball going out of play along the side, slide tackled straight into Arsene uh, and caused, caused him a bit of an injury. And I think Arsene had some ice on his ankle or something after the training session. And Colo was inconsolable in tears in the dressing room like what have I done what have I done and uh, Ray Parler said that he saw went to see the the boss and said are you alright and he said oh the boy's really upset in there and Arson said um, uh, I like him I like his enthusiasm we sign him tomorrow um, which is a which is a great tale it's brilliant um, uh, Adrian Colo Toure I think his partnership with Sol Campbell is what stands out. I can't, you know, I can't remember, not any specific games that come to mind, but I remember seeing him on a visit to Highbury when I wasn't working. He was playing at right back and I just remember seeing just his power and, and sort of enthusiasm, just bouncing up and down the wing. And I thought, wow, I quite like the look of this 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 kid. And then and then the, the partnership he formed with Sol Campbell was just immense. They were two, two brutes really, weren't they? And I'd known Sol since we were... We were kids, so to see see him in the Arsenal team was was a treat anyway. But then to see this, this he was a warrior really, wasn't he, Colo Toure? Didn't have the sort of great height or particular skill. He always looked a little bit uncomfortable when the ball was at his feet, but he just loved defending and he loved stopping strikers. And I just, yeah, th- th- those those two as a partnership were were immense and and obviously history will will, will judge them as, as as one of our best partnerships as well i guess 
Well, quite. I mean, an invincible, you know. I mean, he just... Because I, I remember seeing him when he first played and he looked a little headless chicken, I think, Colo <laughs> Turi. Yeah. You know, when he was running about in midfield and you thought he could take out one of our own players, he could take out one of theirs. Who knows? But as a defender, especially with experienced players next to him, you know, and, and a goalkeeper behind him who wasn't going to take no nonsense from anyone... Um, he really blossomed, I think, and he was he was a, a huge-hearted player. I mean, he was part of that defence that um, that that didn't let in a goal for ten games in the Champions League, wasn't he? And uh, yeah. uh, you know, an immense defender, really. Um, I was I was very sad uh, when he left us, but but um, yeah, I, I I think that's my main memory of him. Really, is 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 him in midfield. Running about and thinking, no, 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 Colo, no, 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 don't do that. But as a defender, what a You're player! Right. What a player! You use the right word, heart. I think he was a player with heart, and that was when you looked at him, you, you thought, well, he's a wholehearted player, definitely. Uh, not the most talented, but but yeah, just loved football, and I think he was very, very, you know, excited and happy to be an Arsenal player, no doubt about that. That's shone through. Amy, well, I'd say that he. Um became a, a, a centre-back almost by accident. Uh, when you think about that was ha obviously where he established himself. But uh, I, I think in his first year or something, he played possibly cameoed in just about every outfield position except goal. You know, he didn't play in goal, but he played, he cropped up just about everywhere else uh, as a kind of classic utility player. I think Arsenal was just trying to find um, find out what, what he was about and where he was going to be best, best used for. And... Uh, in the pre-season, they had a friendly game and uh, Arsene suddenly decided to try out Sol Campbell with Colo in the centre of defence. And his mate was managing the other team. I can't remember exactly who it was now. But uh, Arsene, is one, of the, one of the things that he always said was that, you know, you feel the strength of an opponent when they play against you. So he would often judge opposition players quite well and he used to quite like other people judging how it felt to play against his players. So he went up to his mate at the end of the game and said, what did you think? And this guy said, wow, your two centre-backs, like, they've got some power, you know, that's really something. And it kind of cemented with, with an experiment in pre-season what went on to become the invincible centre-half partnership. Yeah. Adrian, any more before we move on? I don't know. <laughs> Just a personal one. It's probably since since it's the Colo Touré song, isn't it? The Yaya Touré Colo Touré song <laughs> that they do at the darts. Um, I've I've been there. I've been at Ali Pali doing the Yaya Yaya Touré with my hands in the air. And I'm getting low doing the Colo Colo Touré, and and yeah, I, and and I've even taught my children it. And uh, yeah, a little funny aside, I did. I was doing the Colo Touré song with with my uh, little girl not a couple of years ago, and I I kind of fell over doing it and broke her bed so 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 coloture will will have a will always be imprinted on my mind for that rather unfortunate um incident. all right well we're talking about songs then let's have a song uh, uh amy should we have a song all right i'm gonna go back to my uh maudlin teenage phase is it goth is it's a goth it's classic not, it's probably a bit more new romantic sort of post new romantic <laughs> than goth but i i i love david sylvian and uh, when he went solo, he uh, he did a song that's very beautiful called Nostalgia. 
I'm going to pick that because we've been talking about Highbury. Okay. Uh, Adrian, what about you? Yeah, I, well, the one I've picked is based on where we are really in the season rather than the sort of nostalgia of, of Highbury. Um, so it doesn't really fit with what we talked about. But but just, just thinking about that Chelsea win, like it was a lion-hearted display against a really, you know, against a team that were desperate to, to, to beat us and we, we held firm. But there was still that little bit of emptiness about it. Um, because it didn't matter. And and I really hate the, where we are in this season right now where nothing really matters. The last yeah. two games, there's nothing yeah. on it. And, and it, it leaves me feeling a bit uncomfortable and I'm sort of itching for matches that matter again. So, yeah, I picked out Going Through the Motions by, by Hot Chocolate. Because that's kind of what we're doing at the moment until this summer rebuild, until we, we kick off again next year where, where suddenly, you know, every point will matter again, which is, it can't come soon enough for me. Well, you've, you've cheered me up, to be honest with you, this uh, this this talk of the rebuild. So I'll have Here Comes the Sun by the Beatles, Yay. all right? Because it's, <laughs> uh, I feel sunshine over the horizon. Um uh, that's it. That's handbrake off. We're going to do, do uh, I believe, a little review of the season uh, next week. <laughs> so Woo! you can put that in your diary. Um, uh, thanks, Amy. Thanks, Adrian. Uh, lovely Great. to see you. Thanks to Tao, our producer as well. I've been Ian Stone. Thank you for listening. This has been Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast, brought to you by The Athletic. <laughs> Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.